Welcome to Solo Show. This Solo Show, I bring in a professional, a doctor, Dr. Josh Red. Now, we're going to talk about the coronavirus because everybody else is. And I want to make sure that I am informed as well as you are informed and really about the facts because the media, in my opinion, is the devil and I don't trust the media. So you have to go out and do your own research to make sure you have the facts. Now, I don't think we've seen the peak of the coronavirus. I think it still has some more damage to be done. But what the media has done in terms of scaring the public is pretty astonishing. It's almost like you should stop living. There's 45,000 people that die of suicide every year. There's 80,000 people that die of diabetes every year. There's 600,000 people who die of heart disease every year. Those are serious stats and facts that the media should probably be talking about throughout the year, not just when we have a flu that is probably going to be seasonal. How about homelessness? That's kind of a big deal. Listen, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an MD. I'm not a scientist. This is the reason why I want to bring on a professional to educate myself and others. But I don't believe we should stop living. And that's kind of what has been going on the last few days. The media is telling us to stop living. And now I can't watch sports for 30 days. (laughs) I'm going to be on here talking about Netflix reviews for the next 30 days. (laughs) What is there to do, man? Look, I think it's just an overreaction. I think it's... uh, It's a panic. I think it's media propaganda. But enough of me. Let's get on the real professional. I got Dr. Josh Red with me. He's got one of Amazon's best-selling books, The Truth About Low Thyroid. Josh, what's that book about? Uh, The book is actually about Hashimoto's, which is the number one cause of low thyroid in America. They're saying that uh, about 80 to 90 percent of patients that have low thyroid are actually suffering from a bigger, more complicated disease, and that's called Hashimoto's disease. This is actually an autoimmune disease where your, your immune system Rather than attacking bad things that it should, it actually turns on itself and starts to attack your own thyroid tissue. That eventually causes a permanent thyroid you know, destruction, and then your thyroid can't produce the proper thyroid hormones, and then obviously these patients will end up having, having low thyroid because of it. But it's a lot bigger, more complicated problem. It's not just a, a thyroid issue. This becomes more of a systemic and immune problem, but that's really one of our main focuses and, and things that we look at you know, for these patients. So you've got your autoimmune clinics, right? So I went to chiropractic school. Afterwards, I did a master's in what's called human nutrition and functional medicine. Uh, and then from there, uh, uh, functional medicine is kind of where you know, a medical doctor, a DO, and a chiropractor can focus in, in that. Essentially, rather than just treating symptoms, our whole goal is to do all the medical testing that we can to identify what is really causing these patients' problems. So most of the time, let's say a patient has an autoimmune condition, they might go to the doctor, the doctor will just give them a pill for the symptom, but nothing is being done to the actual autoimmune disease itself, right? And so the autoimmune disease continues to just get worse and worse over time. And these patients' quality of lives just get worse and worse and worse. So, so since then, uh, I started a clinic that we deal with uh, mainly autoimmune conditions, but really the majority of our patients are autoimmune. And then since then, I, I'm uh, on kind of a panel of doctors and, and help teach for one of the top immunologists uh, in the country and, and one of the top thyroid researchers in the country, too. So I kind of travel across, across the country and just help uh, healthcare practitioners understand, uh, you know, most healthcare practitioners, they don't really understand immunology well. And so we kind of go there and, and show them, you know, really how to break down the immune system and how to apply it in the clinic and how to help some of these severe cases where a patient might be immune deficient or have autoimmune conditions, but they're struggling there. So kind of the immune system is one of the main things that, that we focus on. 
and we've been doing it for 11 years. So now we have patients from 30 different countries in every state in the nation now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they travel all over the world to, to see our, you know, see us. And mm-hmm. and by the, by the time a patient gets to our office, they would have seen 10 other doctors all over the country, mm-hmm. typically, and, and they're looking for, for help, so... Do you have any clinics in California? Uh, you know, I don't. But one of my really good friends, uh, Dr. Karazian, he does. He sounds uh, Armenian. He definitely thought about. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't, I'm not exactly sure what he is, but yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, I say that because I'm Armenian, and it sounded like his last oh, name you? ended with an I A N. Yeah. Yeah, Karazian. Yeah. 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 Nice. Talking about the autoimmune, you own autoimmune clinics in the Western states. You see patients from all over the world who are suffering from challenging immune-based disorders. How much of this coronavirus has to do with those with a weak immune system? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a really good question. So when it comes to the coronavirus, we're finding now that, that usually the, the elderly population that, that have inflammatory conditions are really the ones that are most impacted by this. Now, there's obviously a number of, of ages that can have this. The thing that is really causing the hysteria for everyone right now is that it's having such a dramatic impact on individuals that are 50, 60, and 70. The older you get, the more detrimental we're, we're seeing that it will actually have. And, and most of the time, it's these elderly patients that have pre-existing conditions that it's really causing problems with. So what about those who are under 30? Well, that's the good news, kind of the silver lining with this, is that we're seeing that as you're under 30 years old, the younger you get, the less likely you'll have to where, where you won't even contract the virus. Now, back that up a little bit, because one of the concerns that we're having is that they're not really even exhibiting symptoms as much. So that, so we call them what's called asymptomatic. But what we're thinking now, and this is just, I mean, we're updating information every single day, but what we're thinking now is that these young individuals even though they may not have symptoms, they can still be hosts or carriers of the disease and still still spread it. And so, yes, when we see 30 and, and younger, we're seeing that symptoms can be pretty mild. And that's what we're seeing across the board and really across the country, you know, country and world. But, you know, I've been saying this since day one is what if they're actually spreading this? And, and this is why it's spreading so much is because they're actually not being tested. They have mild symptoms. They don't even know that they have it. And then in turn, they're spreading it to other people. And then obviously the elderly impacted by this. Now, I feel pretty confident this is the case. And I would bet right now, like, for example, you look at some of these NBA athletes now, like Donovan Mitchell and, and Rudy Gobert, where they're saying like, yeah, my, my symptoms weren't even that severe. You know, I, I, I got sick a little bit. I had maybe uh, a mild cough or, you know, maybe a little bit of joint pain, a little bit of fatigue. But after a few days, I was ready to rock and roll and go back out on the court, right? Like, I think today Donovan Mitchell mentioned that, you know, he, he feels great. So one of the concerns, though, is like, look, they're turning people away in the U.S. right now because their symptoms aren't severe enough. We're limited on testing and what we can do. And so when somebody's symptoms aren't severe enough, they're not even getting tested. And so in my personal opinion, and I thought this is day one, I bet five times the amount of people in the U.S. right now actually have a condition. And because symptoms are mild enough or some even asymptomatic, uh, they're still able to spread the disease. And so there's a couple things that we can take from this. Is One, they're still able to spread the disease, and that obviously causes more problems. And so it's harder to uh, contain the virus. But at the same time, the fatality rate that we're trying to, that's constantly changing, is actually probably quite a bit lower than what we think. Because cause in my personal opinion, and what we're seeing kind of unfold, is I bet four to five times the amount of people actually have it. 
but they're not being tested. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, but what are the symptoms? So if it's, a, if it's a kid who's under 30 years old and has a sore throat and he's coughing and sneezing, I mean, should he be checked for the coronavirus? The more mild you are, like the, the, the younger you are, the more mild your symptoms are going to be. Hmm. And, I mean, initially, they're saying like 20 and younger, the likelihood of you even getting the condition, these were numbers before, were less than 1%. Like even contracting the condition, I mean, they dropped significantly. However, though, the thought process now is that they are actually contracting the condition, but their symptoms are little to nothing. Does that make sense? So so they're almost like a, a silent host where they have no symptoms or they might have let's say, a little bit of congestion, but that's it. And, in, and indeed, they actually are suffering with the coronavirus. So that's where it's, it's, it's really hard to kind of see, you know, what in the world's going on here because, yeah, they could have a cough. They could have some sinus stuff going on. They could have joint pain. They could have, you know, a fever and things like that. Those are obviously symptoms to be mindful of. But I think a lot of these younger adults aren't, having really symptoms that that we are thinking they should have if they had the coronavirus. I know where it originated from, but how did it stem? What what do you mean by that question? How was it created? Like, how how do people get the coronavirus? How did it start? Uh, That's a good question right now. So uh, they're thinking that the coronavirus started originally from bats. And uh, it's in the same kind of family as the the SARS viruses as well. But they're thinking that it originated from bats and then obviously passed on to other animals and obviously to to an adult um, or to, you know, to to a person. So, but they're thinking that it started from an animal and and how, you know, what was the mechanism of that? Uh, You know, that's that's hard to say. There's a lot of theories out there, but, you know, I won't mention any of those theories because I like to kind of just stick to the facts and stick to what we know and not really go out of limb and, and uh, guess, basically. Disneyland is closed. All major sports leagues have been shut down. You can't go nowhere in California with over 250 people, says the governor. Should it be taken this serious, or do you think it's overblown? Hmm. That's a, good, that's a really good question, and I've been asked that asked that quite a bit. So, you know, here, here's the thing. I, when I initially was, was being interviewed for this, I would have said right away, yes, it's being blown out of proportion. You know, we're kind of going nuts and, and everyone's overreacting. I, I honestly, I, I don't really know how to answer that question now like I like I did before. And, and what I mean by that is like, look, if this saves 100 lives by, by taking these necessary precautions and preventive, preventative measures, then is it worth it, right? Is it worth, is it worth overreacting? And, and I would say yes. But I think the hysteria is kind of coming around where they're realizing that this is impacting the elderly population and it's actually causing a lot of problems for those that have pre-existing conditions. And so they're doing all that they can to, you know, to prevent that. And so they're taking these drastic, drastic measures and, you know, only time will tell if it's going to help. But, you know, I don't know. That, that's something where I'm, I'm kind of mixed on. Is it, is it in blown up proportion or is it not? So just give me an idea. You ready for these numbers? Sure. Just so that people have kind of a perspective. And I don't want to be a doomsday type person, and I don't want to be overly optimistic. I want to just kind of share facts and and kind of share what's going on. So are they overreacting? They probably are a little bit, but at the same time, nobody wants to be the person that ends up causing more problems. And I think the scary thing for people is that just, just the unknown. Like They don't really know fully how severe this could be and what it could, you know, what could transpire because of that. And so because of the unknown... I think that's where a lot of the hysteria is coming from. Another reason why, though, is because of what it's doing with 
with the elderly population. Now, to put things into perspective, though, I have numbers that just kind of show what's going on. Now, back in 2017, the CDC obviously came out with a lot of different numbers of deaths caused by different health problems. 647,000 people died in 2017 of heart disease. 160,000 people in the U.S. died of respiratory disease. 146,000 people died of stroke. 83,000 died of diabetes. 55,000 people died of the flu and pneumonia. And 70,000 people died of drug overdoses. You know? Mm -hmm. So I like to say, in order to put that into perspective, you think about this, look at all those people that are dying. Imagine if we were following the flu, you know, especially this year is a really bad year as well. Imagine what, what would be happening if we were following the flu around and seeing everyone that was dying from the flu. Like I was just being interviewed two days ago and the host had a, a brother-in-law that was 45 that literally just died from the flu, right? If we were to follow things and track things as effectively as we're doing with the coronavirus or the COVID-19, we would be losing our minds, right? I mean, we'd be just completely losing our minds because these numbers are, are obviously far worse than what I think the coronavirus is actually going to be in a, you know, in a cause in there. So when the, when the weather heats up, will this help the cause to kill this virus? Great question. We don't know the answer fully yet, right? It looks like that's going to be the case because of what it looks like genetically and how it uh, translate with, you know, translates with other viruses. But when a virus is new, we really don't know, the, you know how it's going to spread fully. We don't know how it's going to really react because sometimes new viruses act differently than other ones, even though they're in the same kind of family pool there. So it looks like it might. We hope we hope that's the case. We're getting we're getting a lot more signs that that's going to be the thing that, that's going to help us. Uh, but at the same time, we're not exactly sure. One good thing that we're seeing is in Italy and in China, we're seeing that this has kind of a, a four, you know, four to six week peak area where it will, it will increase and spread and get uh, worse and worse. And then after about four to six weeks, it starts to decline. And that's pretty consistent with, you know, that's a pretty consistent pattern we're seeing with a lot of these viruses. So that's happening in other countries. We're hoping that that happens here. That would mean that the U.S., we have probably about another week or two where uh, it's going to continue to get to peak, and then, and then hopefully it starts to decline as well. Um, so even outside, whether it's a seasonal virus or not, uh, which we hope it is seasonal, meaning that we hope that as it starts to warm up and as summer kicks in, uh, we hope that, we hope that it starts to dissipate and decline. But even even before then, I actually think it's going to start to decline from the measures that we're taking. But then also just because that's a you know consistent pattern that we're seeing in the other countries as well. Right. What tips can you provide to do right now to stay healthy and not catch this virus? Well, there's a there's a couple things. So the people who contract the virus, they're going to have the worst problems are the ones with pre-existing conditions, right? We have those numbers in detail. The, the, the worst pre-existing condition and the highest chance of death is cardiovascular disease. The uh, second is diabetes. The third is chronic respiratory disease. Fourth is hypertension. Fifth is cancer. Sixth is kidney disease. Now, a lot of these conditions are inflammatory conditions. And so if, if you're going to ask me, okay, what preventative measures can I take right now to, one, give my immune system a fighting chance and minimize symptoms and problems when I, if I contract the, the virus, right? A lot of these conditions are inflammatory conditions, which basically means that, you know, they cause a lot of inflammation and stress throughout the whole body. Now, a simple strategy that you can do is if you have an inflammatory condition, guess what makes it worse? And this is 
this is now we have solid research and facts. Inflammatory food makes it worse. Mm. In order to make it better, you stop eating the inflammatory food. So like sugar is highly, highly inflammatory, especially if you end up having diabetes and cardiovascular disease and things like that. And so just simply avoiding sugar for right now until this thing passes by, that could give your immune system a chance to be able to fight this effectively and not have too many problems, right? No matter what age you're at. Um, another thing too is high inflammatory foods like gluten and dairy and things like that can play a huge role on the actual immune system too. So for example, we'll do laboratory uh, markers in the blood and we'll check for inflammatory cytokines and inflammatory markers for a lot of our autoimmune patients that are, st- are showing with similar conditions and problems. And, and really within weeks, we can see that these inflammatory markers can decrease quite rapidly and that the immune system can start to function quite a bit better, really within about a two to three week span. And so there's lots of things that, that patients can do right now to minimize the inflammatory response. So if you're suffering with these chronic inflammatory pre-existing conditions and you start to make some of these changes right away, it could have a life-changing result. And you can do it fast. You can do it swift. So another thing, too, is is uh, vitamin D is critical. Vitamin D supports what's called regulatory T cells. And that plays a critical role with how your immune system functions as well. There's another supplement uh, or, or an antioxidant called glutathione. Uh, glutathione is one of the most effective immune modulators out there. It's incredible. But it helps with the immune system in great detail. It helps with the intestinal lining. It helps with the blood-brain barrier. It helps with the lung blood barrier. Uh, it helps with the brain inflammation. It helps our bodies detoxify. It's incredible out there. That's another thing that the patients could start taking right now or people could start taking right now that would really help their immune system function and uh, if for some reason they come in contact with this, it would significantly uh, minimize the chance of having problems. Does it matter where you buy your supplements? I mean, is there companies that make better supplements than others? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely matters. So do you just, just give me an idea. We're, we probably see around 300 to 400 autoimmune patients a day from all over the world. And that's a substantial amount of patients. And because of that, we're able to do the blood work and identify, okay, what imbalances do these patients have? And are there things that we can give them to upregulate, enhance, and improve function to those imbalances? And so we'll look at the research and identify what different nutrients and and, uh, different things can we give them that will help improve these imbalances versus just where medications, they block, inhibit, and downregulate function. So let's say someone comes into the doctor, the doctor sees that they have a symptom, the, the doctor will give them a, a medication, and that medication will likely just block, inhibit, and downregulate function, and it doesn't really do anything to the mechanism that's really causing the problems to begin with, right? Whereas for us, we're trying to find, okay, what can we do and what, what nutrition can we give this patient that would provide a therapeutic benefit to actually improve these imbalances? Because of this, over the last 11 years, we've tried hundreds and hundreds of different types of supplements. Uh, and, and then we obviously want to retest the blood work and see if it's actually improved. And, and we're finding that absolutely the types of supplements that you use are really critical and, and obviously will, will play a big role there. So making sure that you find the right supplements that uh, do the right things is, is critical. One of the best supplements that we like to use is actually out of California. California, if, just to give you an idea, have you heard of Prop 65? Yes. So obviously with Proxy 65, these supplement companies are put under pretty uh, strict guidelines and, and uh, guidelines that they have to follow. And so if you're Prop 
Prop 65 approved, you know that you're going to have really well quality supplements mm. and, you know, they're going to benefit the patients. Uh, but one of the, the companies that I like the most is actually uh, called Apex Energetics. And uh, physicians have to prescribe these supplements, but one, they're immune neutral. Uh, and what I mean by that is that there's some supplements where there'll be different ingredients in there that will actually flare up an autoimmune. So like there's supplements like green tea extract, grapeseed extract, coffee, things like that will actually stimulate what's called TH2 cells. And that can actually really jack up an autoimmune patient if they don't know which pathway they're dominant. And so there's a lot of other different nutrients out there where if an autoimmune patient is actually taking certain types of supplements, uh, it can really cause their, their condition to get a lot worse. And so one thing that I love about Apex is, is one, they, you know, they're Prop 65 approved. And then at the same time, they have basically supplements that are immune neutral, meaning that it's not going to flare up TH1 cells or TH2 cells, and it's going to help the immune system uh, the best. Another thing, too, is that, look, a lot of these supplements are bound or cross-contaminated with, like, gluten, dairy, soy, and, and other things. And that's where you have to be extremely cautious because if a patient, and, and really most of the public, whether, whether we know it or not, 40% of Americans have some form of a food intolerance. And what that means is that their immune system has created an antibody to some, some foods they're eating, and every time that they eat that food, the immune system will freak out and, and attack it, attack that food protein, and then it causes more of an inflammatory response. And we're finding out now that 40% of the public actually has some form of, of a food intolerance. And symptoms of that food intolerance could be as simple as depression and fatigue. In fact, the most common, most common symptoms of a food intolerance with research that we're finding now is, is depression and fatigue. Now, the reason why I'm saying that, though, is that a lot of supplements are bound with gluten, dairy, or soy, or corn, or, you know, they have, they're cross-contaminated in a warehouse that has those things in there, or or they're, they're actually bound together by those types of things. And if that's the case, and let's say a person with, let's say, an immune intolerance or, let's say, an autoimmune condition takes those supplements, it can actually cause and, and freak out the immune system even more. And then the very thing they're taking to try to help improve their body is actually just making it a lot worse. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so, so for us, we have to be super careful with our patients about what we provide as supplement-wise to help our patients improve. And at the same time, we don't want to guess either. We, we like to do the proper blood work, identify exactly, okay, what imbalances are actually causing this patient's problems, and then what can we do to build a specific treatment plan for that individual to improve those imbalances and then educate them and show them what to do and what not to do so that these patients are functioning a lot better and so that their immune systems are functioning a lot better, right? That's kind of the process that we go by. So, What are your clinics called? Uh, Red River Health and Wellness. We have uh, seven cl- clinics across the Western United States right now, and, and that's kind of our, our main focus is autoimmunity. Dr. Josh Red, this information you provided was incredible, man. You have no idea. Thank you so much. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for having me. I hope that interview with Dr. Josh Red was informative for you. It was for me. I actually learned a lot from him. Extremely great information. But I hope it also kind of calms your nerves a bit because what happens is I believe in the immune system. If we don't take care of it, then viruses like this come into our bodies and take them over. I also believe in not watching the news. I also believe in not searching the internet 
about this virus by the hour, by the minute, by the second. Enough already. What happens to your immune system when you are stressed is that it becomes vulnerable. When you watch the media and all the bullshit that they talk about daily, it creates vulnerability for your immune system. I haven't watched the news for a couple days for a reason. I haven't been on the internet for a couple days for a reason. I know what's happening. I don't need them to be in my ear, in my face all day long about this freaking virus. I know the steps I need to take. I know what it's like to be healthy. So step away from that stuff. Take care of yourself. Wash your damn hands. Don't touch your face. And be cautious. Not stupid. Until next time, folks. I am Mike Gabriel. This is Mike Da Pod. No wasted days. Let's go.